Time to get inspired, develop and improve your yoga knowledge in English. You're listening to Your Yoga in English, a podcast for non-native English-speaking yogis and yoga teachers that want to practice or teach yoga worldwide. My name is Annie, the founder of Enga Unite, and here to guide you on your way to become the confident, effective and knowledgeable English-speaking yogi you want to be. Today is the first interview of a series of interviews with experts as teachers or expert speakers. So it's a series of interviews in which we speak about yoga teaching skills and how to teach yoga in English. And I'm very excited to welcome Gwen to our first one. Maybe you've seen Gwen before because Gwen has been with us to speak about how to remember and include anatomy in your yoga classes. But today we're going to speak about themes that you can use for your yoga classes in English. So Gwen, thank you for joining us. I'm really excited to have you here. Thank you. <laughs> How are you doing? Very good. I'm always uh, I'm always pleased to have a chat with you. <laughs> ah. <laughs> Me too. I'm really, really excited about this. First of all, because I'm speaking to you, <laughs> but also <laughs> because I really, really like the theme of our chat today. And I asked you because not long ago you published a guide on theming your yoga classes, and I thought it was really interesting. And I think it will be really interesting for the people that are in our community to find out more about this, because among yoga teachers, Especially when they first start out, theming seems a little bit scary because we don't really know where to start or how to do it. And I think you've got all the answers. <laughs> you've got all the wow, answers. I hope. <laughs> all right. So let's start with who you are. Tell us a little bit about who you are because you're from France, you live in Bali, and you're leading yoga teacher trainings there. How you rolled into that? So exactly this, I'm, I am French and I live in Nusselemongan, which is close to Bali, a smallest island. So yeah, I mainly actually just uh, speak English. I only speak French to my son that is two years old <laughs> for the language. I ended up here completely by opportunities. And I think that's something that I really like in life is seeing what is happening rather than trying to make things happen, you know. And that's how I ended up managing Yoga Bliss, so this amazing studio in Bali. And, and that I'm doing now teacher trainings here since 2016 and leading yoga retreats and workshop and especially working with yoga teachers, either training yoga teachers or working with yoga teachers after they're certified. Exactly. And just because of the community here, many of them have done a yoga teacher training in another language. And we spoke to you, to you about this before, but for the people that haven't seen you, How was it for you to do your yoga teacher training in English? Because you're originally from France, so French is your first language, but you also did your training in English, right? Yeah. I think for me it made sense because my main teachers are speaking English, and so I learned it with the English words. And it's then later after learning it in French, when I came back in English, when I came back in French, that I found it was very difficult to hear words in another language. So I completely get it for people that do it the other way around. It's true that once you get your habit, uh, I think it's difficult to change it. So it's difficult for me to teach in French, actually. <laughs> yes. 
I understand. Your trainings was it made sense for me to do it in English. Uh-huh. Exactly. It's funny that you say that that is difficult for you to teach in French, even though French is your first language. And I spoke to other teachers about that not long ago. And I think it really is because, like you said, you're not used to it. You're not used to hearing it or to speaking about these topics in that language. So even when you are fluent in that language, it doesn't necessarily mean that you can teach in that language, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's really funny. It's funny how these things work. So yeah. tell us a little bit about the trainings that you do then. You train teachers, how to become teachers. What mm -hmm. styles do you focus on? So we have been changing like how the <laughs> trainings are. And so at the beginning, we went Ashtanga and Yin teacher trainings. To now is a multi-style training because what we have seen with time is actually a lot of teachers do not know which style they want to teach or they don't practice just one style and they want to teach different styles. And so we decided to just do one training where we teach multi-style. So we do Ashtanga and Yin one week and then we do Vinyasa and we do Restorative and then everyone teach a little bit of a, what they want to focus on. Mm -hmm. So multi-style. Yeah, that's really nice. And do you also then, because we're going to speak about themes, do you also teach them how to use themes in these styles or do you focus on the skills rather? Yeah, so we two teach a trainer mm -hmm. and uh, so I focus on the Ashtanga and Restorative. And so in Ashtanga, it's a set sequence, so there is no themes, but you can always have an intention that makes the class different, I think. Uh, but definitely for restorative and then these are for yin and vinyasa, we do teach how to sequence and using theme is definitely a part of that. Mm -hmm. Yes, really nice, really nice. So why would you use a theme in your yoga classes? Um, why would I? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I why think uh, that we want to do or why is it something that you do? Yeah, I think it is such a great way to actually make more sense in the practice. Sometimes a lot of people are wondering what is the difference between a fitness class and a yoga class or depending on the style or where you teach, if you teach in a gym, to make some differences. Yoga, we know it as yoga teachers is about more than that. And sometimes having a simple theme can really help to make the class more meaningful. So I would say definitely to bring something more meaningful for the students. Mm, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> I think there's many, many different benefits. And I also, because I'm very curious always, is there other negative effects or aspects of using themes? Are there any cons? <laughs> I don't think so, because I think the using theme is like having an ankle. So even if you didn't plan your sequence or anything, just having a theme or an intention, you can have a beautiful, a beautiful class, even if you didn't plan everything before. Mm -hmm. So I don't, I cannot see what will be not beneficial on having a theme or an intention. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Are there specific people or groups or students that more benefit or benefit more from theming your classes or is it good for everyone? I think it's really good for everyone. Um, 
because you just focus on different things because beginners might be the theme will just be completely different um, and not more simple, but just different. Maybe that's someone that is advanced where you can touch something that is more subtle in the practice as they're they're not in this gross uh, discovery of their body and they already know the movement and their breath. So themes could be different for different levels. Yeah, exactly. And you already said because you do, you teach different styles at the trainings. Can you mm-hmm. use themes for every style or type of yoga or do they only go with specific styles? I think like the, the style we set sequences, it will not be so much about a theme, but rather maybe an intention. Because for example, let's say we take an Ashtanga class, which has sequence. Mm-hmm. It's more maybe, okay, the intention today might be to focus more on your feet or your breath. or So you could have something like that, let's say, but it's not really a theme. Mm-hmm. Rather than if you teach vinyasa or yin, let's say, or restorative or hatha, you could have a bigger theme uh, and uh, and different intention. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I find it so fascinating. I really, really love theme in my classes. I've got a whole notebook of <laughs> different yeah. themes for everything. <laughs> Um, and their own sequence and affirmation and quotes and everything. So could you give us some example of inclusive and accessible yoga themes that we can use straight away? So I think when first when you say like inclusive and I really think of um, something that we speak a lot at the moment, which is situation and different gender and trauma. And I think it's very important to, to know the people that you're teaching. Yeah. to be inclusive of them because inclusivity can be so big. So I will say that simply starting with theme like compassion or joy or fear, that could be feelings. These are things that we all go through. And so I think it's easy to relate wherever you come from, whatever you identify yourself with, any country like you can relate to having fear, compassion or joy, for example. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's true. It is true. And I think it's a hot topic at the moment. There's a lot of people that speak about inclusivity and it's very mm. broad because there's so many ways to include or not include anyone. Do you know of any themes that are not inclusive? Just by definition, these these themes you can't use for every class or for every um, public yoga class. Yeah, I actually had to think about it, you know, um, and uh, just because you asked me before, just, uh, uh-huh. just to say, because it looks like I'm not thinking about it right now. And actually, I think that all the theme can be inclusive and it's more about communication. And I think that as yoga teachers, when we speak in the world in general, communication can really be a tool to either connect with other people, but it can also be isolating because it will be more about the cues and the words that we use. If I say in a yoga class, um, oh, you cannot uh, do this, so try this one. Mm -hmm. This will be not inclusive, for example. And that's a bit pointing at someone. And it's not really wrong. And some people will feel very comfortable doing it or receiving these words, but maybe some no. So I will say inclusivity is more about communication, I think, and the intention behind Mm -hmm. our words. Yes, absolutely. There's so much that 
I think we don't really realize because we have used it so much and we have heard it so much and now it's our normal. But if you analyze those words, and this is especially when you speak about inclusivity as a whole, there are so many words or expressions or ways of speaking that are really, really excluding people in a, in a way, even if your intention is not to do that. <laughs> mm. It can come across that way. So when you first start out, as a yoga teacher, what are some themes that you recommend using? What are some good starting points? So as we did, we did speak about anatomy last time, and I think because I'm teaching anatomy, and I think anatomy is such a great subject because especially if you have a bit of time to research as a new yoga teacher, if you have a bit of time, then choose something that maybe you don't know everything about. Yeah, because like this also make your knowledge better and then you feel good because you're sharing this knowledge with all your students. So something like anatomy can help you actually to learn about anatomy by sequencing, theming your class about the shoulder or the back or the hips. So I think taking the, the theme to be simple can really be good as a new teacher. If you don't have the time, simply theme something that you know. If you are a fan of the cycle of the moon, you know everything about the new moon and the full moon, then use that as a theme. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you don't know really well about it and you don't find it interesting, then don't choose that. Yeah, exactly. I love what you said. Teach what you know. Teach the things that you are interested in and you know about. There often is a pitfall, and I think because as yoga teachers, we feel the pressure to know everything and to be good at yeah. everything. And especially when it comes to anatomy. So we teach things that we feel really uncomfortable with just because we want to prove to ourselves or maybe even the students that we have that knowledge. Is there anything that you would say to this or say to the people that feel this way? I think it's it's normal. And uh, I know sometimes it's difficult because we see oh, all these amazing teachers that knows everything. But first, I don't think that any yoga teacher knows everything. Every yoga teacher has strength. And, and it takes so long. So when you see someone actually that knows a lot, maybe seeing that as a, whoa, this person has studied a lot. And you will also study a lot. And, uh, and it, it just takes, and now it's such a beautiful time that we have access to so much information. You can just Google something and by a bit verifying where you are looking <laughs> in sources, you can actually find good information very quickly. So I think to not be afraid of making mistakes and of not knowing if you want to know something, make sure that you have access to other yoga teachers or simply looking on the internet to, to learn more if you have the time. Absolutely. All right. I want to dive into an example. Yeah. <laughs> dive into an example because we, we now know what to theme or what things to include, maybe the, the words to use or not to use. Um. You gave the example of anatomy and backbends or using backbends as a theme for your yoga classes. What are some elements to take into account when you work with a theme like this? So I think when you work on a theme that is anatomy based, then it's to first look at the position of the body that you will, uh, that you will do, especially if you do a pick pose. Because for example, if you do camel, let's say it will be your pick pose. Even if the back is doing a back bend, the arms are in this position, for example, right? Then if your peak pose is Urdhva Dhanurasana, your arms are like that. So 
it will be a different sequence. So we'll say that first of all is to look at that for your sequence. But for your theme is to look at what emotions or what ideas come with it. So for example, when we look at backbends, sometimes it can be about the heart chakra. It can also be about opening, but it's backbends are also well known for anger because sometimes when you learn to do backbend, you can feel very angry in your backbends and that's emotion that can come. So you could theme on these emotions that are chakras or subtle elements that are linked to this, this theme. Mm-hmm. And it's really good what you're saying because backbends have so many connotations. So it, it could be anger, but it could also be a heart opener. So there's all these different emotions One thing I hear very often is that people think when they have one theme, they can only use one sequence with one theme or one Mm. way of going around it. But actually, now that you're saying this, it means that you can use the same sequence, but theme it something differently each time, right? Yeah, definitely. (laughs) It's a sustainable of teaching, (laughs) sustainable way of teaching. (laughs) Yeah, It would be difficult to always be so creative. And I think there was also like this at the moment, like uh, yoga teachers that feel like they always need to be so creative. But yoga is not about being creative, right? Usually when we try to help people by using yoga, it's not to be creative. No. And actually these people and yourself as well benefit from this repetition because there's just so much that goes on and everything we can, every time we can find something else or find something new in the themes and the sequence, but also in the asanas themselves. So, yes. So <clears throat> you said looking at emotions, looking at how um, the body moves and what, what specific body movements are going on in the pick box. How do you then choose other asanas or your sequence? Okay, so... For this, I would say to look at the pose. Yeah. So example, if we said camel will be to look at the position of the arms. So they're like this. So to do position like different asana with the arms like that, to do different uh, asana with uh, back bends, the legs are bent. uh, So to do poses where the hamstring contracts. So I will say to just look at the pose. And to try to find poses that have some elements, one or two elements, yeah, to slowly build up to the peak pose. Exactly. I think in my first training, they were speaking about cousins of the asanas (laughs) because they all look very similar. Um, Do you have any techniques as to how to find these? Because I can imagine when you first start out, it's very difficult to, to actually recognize what's happening or the similarities in these asanas. Yeah, I think for for sequencing, which is such a a big subject also by itself, (laughs) uh, I think like really to look at the position of the arms and everything. And then you know some poses. Yeah, And if you are not sure about what pose can come here, that's how also, and you don't remember anything, that's how internet is so great for that. Yeah, because for example, if you put... um, Back bend with shoulder extension, which is this. Uh, you will have other one probably with that, okay, that you can include in your warm up or in your path uh, to this peak pose that you have. Mm-hmm. 
Exactly. Are there any books that you recommend or maybe things that you tell your teachers to get? For sequencing, I think we need to to have a clear method on how do you want to sequence is, is really helpful because there was so many different yoga teachers and the teachers that I work with, I want them to create their own templates because the templates that I see a lot of time out there, I don't like them myself. So I would not want to practice with it. So I think you need to do your own with your own style. For books, for theming, definitely the best book ever that I found is The Language of Yin. That's Lisa that teach uh, with me in the training that teach Yin. She has a yogic book club that you can find also on on Facebook and they read book every few months. And the first one was this, and that's at this time I discovered it. And it's so great because even if you don't teach in, there is so many things. Absolutely. And they even give you pauses and what to say. <laughs> so if you don't have any idea, you can definitely use that. Yes, I completely agree. I love that book. I use it all the time. <laughs> yeah, it's so great. It really is good. Actually, this is a really good point because now we kind of have our theme. We, we know what poses to include or what sequence to, to script for. How do you then choose quotes or affirmations or maybe poetry, written work? Mm. So, yeah, I will say that one of the things that is good is to, when you see a quote or a text that you like, to save it. Yeah, and, and to either have some sort of notes somewhere, either written down or maybe in your computer or in your phone, and then you can find them because they made sense to you at one point. Yeah. So that will be more relevant than simply Googling quote for backbend or quote for heart opener because <laughs> there is thousands and thousands of them. Yeah. So I will say if you don't have, if you didn't start, then... Of course, you can Google that. But if not, finding some notes in the books that you read or posts that you've seen, you know, even on Instagram, you can just use the saved and then you can do a little gallery of, in your saved, you can do a, a gallery just for quotes and then you have all these quotes uh, that you can check again. Yes, that's great advice. Really nice advice. And thinking because we're with the example of the backbends and backbends mm -hmm. often require or not, don't require necessarily, but I would recommend using props. How do you choose what to use and when to use it? I think props are, are great when they are available. And I think we should definitely include it, especially if we're trying to be inclusive. And I think it's simply on being clear. And if you, you look at this big pose and you, you have to choose, let's say, what I recommend usually to my teachers is three modifications. And I'm not saying one is not the peak pose because one might be, yeah, but to have three variation of this pose that you call your peak pose and to have one maybe that at least need, uh, need some prop and to have that at the start and to show people how to use it because so many times it's like, okay, take two blocks and then no one speak about it during the, the work class. So you have these two blocks that are near you, but you never actually use them. Uh -huh. So I will say to, to use something that is relevant and it will depend what is the big pose. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And there is a big discussion. There's a big discussion on whether to include music or not. What is your opinion on this? 
Again, I will say that. So what I like is with theming, I also like to work with intention because I also find that theme are so big that if you have different intention, then you can reuse your sequences and, and give really something personal. Yeah. So depending on your intention, music or not is good. For example, if your intention is about the withdrawal of the senses, or listening to your breath, or maybe having no music is more relevant than having music. Mm-hmm. So I will say that it is, it is really, it depends. And I think all of us, with time in the practice, depending if you practice since one year, five, 10, 15, you will go through all the stages of, I like music, I hate music. It depends. <laughs> so I think as yoga teacher, that's why it's important to not try to, to fit everyone. Yeah. You have to do what is good for you. What is your own style and, and what you like. I think there is, there is one yoga style that is no music is restorative yoga. This is no, <laughs> no music. <laughs> because one of the principles of restorative yoga is silence. <laughs> so, so that will not make it. Yeah. But all the other style, it really depends. I would say Ashtanga also, it's very much about the breath and listening to your Ujjayi breathing. So it's a bit difficult to do that if you're having music. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I completely agree. I'm in the stage of no music at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really feel it's distracting if you've got a sense or maybe um if you really like music and you've got a feel for the beat you try to keep up with the rhythm of the music which is actually really disturbing sometimes <laughs> yeah but I agree it's in stages always do what feels right for you so let's summarize them because we've got a lot of things here Oh, there's one last question I have because studios are opening. Are you teaching them in person already or again? Well, I was actually since June last year. Ah, Uh, But now since this month in July, we closed because that's the first big big wave that we have here. Oh, no. So you're a little later. (laughs) We're a bit late. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, I didn't know that. All right. So my question about that is... According to your theme, what other types of elements could you include? What do you mean by element? Um, for example, oils or props mm. or okay. decoration. I've seen people bringing in, I don't know, statues or like little dolls, stuff, <laughs> decoration. <Yeah. laughs> I, think, I think that's exactly like theme you can... Make it so little and you can make it so big, you know. And for example, if you organize a yoga class for a wedding, you know, and they're all going to a yoga class after, your theme will be big. It will not be subtle and there will be a lot of decoration and you will talk a lot about it and you will probably have music and it will be very different. So I think it depends on you as a teacher and what you like. Mm-hmm. It is... It is true also to how much traditional do you want to be? Because of course, one of the principles of being in the yoga practice, we say it's to be steady and affordable, but it's also often about getting rid of distraction. And sometimes having music or smell can be distraction. 
So even like visually uh, seeing, for example, a statue and you feel horrified by this statue. Imagine every time you do sun salutation and you look at it. (laughs) So I think it's why like it's so personal. And as a yoga teacher, I really, really want to emphasize that you don't have to please everyone. So do the things you like, put the music or not the music and a lot of people will say, what you do is yoga, what you do is not yoga. Everyone has an opinion. So I think as long as you find your tribe and you're teaching from your heart to the people uh, that are willing to learn and, and to practice with you, then you're doing something right, you know, if they come back. So yeah. if you have intense, you don't. I think it's not important. Just stay true to your own belief. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's that's amazing that you said that. I think it's really something a lot of new teachers, especially new teachers, struggle with because we want to please everyone and we're new to it and it's maybe a little bit uncomfortable. So yeah, stay true to yourself and what you like. So let's summarize or maybe get a little bit of a summary. What three key things make a good sequence? Okay. <laughs> so intentional is... You need to be aware of what you're doing and to have an intention in your theme, not just throwing something. So intentional, relevant for your student, because if you're teaching something and it's completely irrelevant uh, for the group of people that you teach, there is no point. And simple, something simple. It doesn't have to be complicated. Mm, Very nice. Really, really nice. Are there any other tips that you have for teachers? I think if you feel that you're overwhelmed with uh, theming, it's to really just focus on what you know. You might think you don't know anything, but if you did it 200 hours, you know a lot of things. Yeah. And just go back in your notes and you will see one of the limbs and you will be like, okay, that's my theme, for example. And you already have notes. And so you can talk about it. So it it doesn't have um, to take you a lot of time. If you have a lot of time, then take this time to research, mm-hmm. but really understand that it's up to you. There is no, there is no obligation. Yeah. Amazing. 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 <laughs> and in the meantime, Gwen, where can we find you? What are you up to these days? Because I'm in your Facebook group as well. And I know there's an amazing program going on. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so we have um, a mentorship program for yoga teachers uh, now. And it is a program that is not just an online course or it is not a teacher training. It is a program for teachers that want to start their own business and want to grow that and something that they want on their own. So something that is authentic to them. And so what we work on is really on refining those teaching skills that we're talking about, sequencing, cueing, theming, but also who you are as a yoga teacher because all have different styles. And then we work on your brand, establishing your community, like on social media or your newsletter and and how to market your offers because I see that, that I have trained hundreds of yoga teachers. I can see now actually that the missing piece is a little bit the after. Yeah, so after how... How do I start my business if I don't want to teach five classes a day? And if you followed me a bit, I talk about it because I have done teaching five classes a day and I don't recommend it. (laughs) It is very tiring. 
you don't give yourself well, you lose your yoga practice, so why you practice yoga? So this mentorship program is really about that. And we have a couple of coaching sessions per week. And I think that's definitely the amazing part where we sequence when you get teachers needed. Oh, it is super lovely. Yeah, that's it's really nice. I've seen a little bit about it. Um, Gwen, what is your group called if people want to find you there? Elevate your yoga career. Exactly. Amazing. Amazing, amazing. Gwen, is there anything else you would like to say? <laughs> No, I will say for all of you get teachers, trust in yourself. Amazing. Very good. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time. I really, really enjoyed chatting to you. Thank you, Annie. Another time, a real, real big honor. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for watching. I will see you all on Thursday. On Thursday, we're back with another interview. And this time about combining your talents. So combining your yoga services with other talents that you have. I'll see you then. <laughs> if you feel inspired and like what you learned today, I'd love for you to leave a review. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us at Enga Unite. Join the community and become a member of the Teach Yoga in English support group on Facebook. Practice, rest, repeat and all will come.